Today, we have a segment of Ask Rachel on the show, and I get to answer a bunch of really beautiful questions. We dive into the really difficult conversation of how to not pass on your own wounds to your kids as you move through the journey of parenting. And I talk about beauty culture and how we protect or have to protect our children from society standards and how to let them keep that unique beauty that each child is born into this world with. I also talk about how do we parent through healing something if we have something inside of ourselves that we're still working on, that we're still untangling. How can we parent and hold our children in a different energy while healing ourselves? It's a beautiful episode. Thanks for being here. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I'm faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where Ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, hello. Hello again. I have to say hello again because I did something really stupid just now and I'm going to choose to laugh at it. I'm going to laugh and not be upset. Okay, here's what I did. (laughs) I sat down to record this podcast (laughs) and I did like their little intro and then... I had to drink, I had to take a sip of water. So I pressed pause on the recorder to just like sip some water. And then I went back to the pod and I like did a whole long podcast (laughs) where I told you a bunch of big stories and stuff. And then I just kind of glanced down at the recorder and I forgot to press record. Which essentially means I was sitting here for 45 minutes just fucking talking to myself. (laughs) Which is kind of what podcasting is, but not really. I mean, I am always talking to myself because you guys are not here in front of me, like looking at me, holding my hand or anything. But, you know, I'm I'm mostly talking to you. (laughs) 
And I just like, I just thought, oh my God, I, I, I never pressed record. And that's just like, oh, I'm going to choose to not be upset about that. Instead, I'm going to go with, I have some better stories to share. I have other angles on things. I have maybe something someplace completely different where we're supposed to go and journey together today. <laughs> and whatever I just shared for 45 minutes was just not meant for anybody to hear. <laughs> so hi, everyone. Welcome again. Hello um, <laughs> to a brand new episode of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton with the worst case of pregnancy brain of all time. <laughs> like I'm really, I really, I don't know how I'm keeping my life together. Actually, the only way I'm keeping my life together because my all of my brain cells are in my uterus currently, like all of them. And I'm normally the one who keeps track of everything. I'm the one who's kind of in control. I'm the one in charge of the schedule and the calendaring. And I'm never late. I never miss a meeting. Like I'm on top of my shit. Like I am a, <laughs> I'm a grown ass woman. And all of a sudden I can't, like I cannot remember anything. I keep double booking appointments constantly. I show up for stuff that's like in another month. I've done that several times, <laughs> gone to an appointment just to hear like, oh, but honey, you're not supposed to be here until June. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> Embarrassed. Okay. Bye. <laughs> you know, I do that. I like miss stuff. I'm late. I am scattered. And the only way I'm keeping my life together is because I barely ever leave the house these days. And most of the things I have to keep track of, it's like people coming to the house for things, for appointments or for projects, or we have a lot of like handymen and people and contractors and, you know, things I need to keep track of, important stuff. And uh, they just, they come and I'm like in my pajamas, like, oh, hi. Oh, yes, that was today. Great. Welcome. <laughs> And then I like pretend everything's normal. And I definitely knew you were coming. Like I, I have kept track of this appointment, but I haven't. And I can just kind of wing it. Like that's how my life is functioning. Just people are coming to me and then I have to deal with the consequences of that. But yeah, I'm doing a lot of stupid, stupid, stupid stuff these days. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be like that for a little while. But what I was saying as I was kind of talking to myself over here <laughs> this week on the show, we have we have Ask Rachel on the show, which is my favorite week. I love it so much. I love hearing your questions. I love answering your questions. I love how sometimes a single question can turn into like a whole podcast and a whole conversation on a specific topic. And I love that some weeks we have like more rapid fire stuff where I answer things yeah, quickly and we get a lot of questions in. And I never know what an episode is going to be. But before I take our first question of the week or first question of the day, I should give you a little, like a little pregnancy update, maybe. <laughs> so aside from major pregnancy brain and scatteredness, I'm feeling really good. I'm really, and I'm really grateful I can say that. If you tuned in last week, I, I ended up sharing the whole story, like the unfiltered, real, true story, the way it is now, vivid for me in a real way, of Leia's birth and pregnancy, my first birth and pregnancy, which is, I just have had so many epiphanies and realizations and big, major healing moments around that. 
I've kind of known I want to do an episode just about that. But I kind of thought I would plan that out a little bit because I know what I want to talk about and kind of how I want to share it. And last week, it just came out of me. It just came pouring out like the whole story. And and I got such beautiful response from so many of you who have experienced similar things or had one of the things that happened to me during labor and interaction with the medical system happened to you too, or just a lot of resonance. And it's so intensely on my mind how pretty much every single one of us who birthed within the institutionalized medical system in some way have experienced these kinds of aggressions, the shaming, at some point abuse, things that we know like in our gut and our hearts like wasn't okay didn't feel good but we've just accepted because it's normal right where actually it's not normal it's just common it happens every day in every birth all the time all over the world and because it's every day and everywhere we feel like well that's just what it is and we just accept and we move on the way i think we as women accept so much living in this patriarchal society so much is just, well, that's what it is, right? So we don't even complain anymore. We don't even make a fuss about it. When, you know, actually you get really close to it and then you step away and you get to be objective about it and you go, wait a minute. No, <laughs> that actually should not be normal. That actually wasn't okay. And then I think I had a lot of these conversations with my with my best friend, with with Olivia. She was on the show a few weeks ago talking about her home birth. We talked a lot about this this week. She was shamed breastfeeding. Um, yeah, she had a woman walk up to her in the middle of lunch as she was busy with her two kids, two older kids, while nursing her little one. You know, she's a two months postpartum, which is a super vulnerable, hard time. It's already so hard to make everything work as a mother. Like it's so hard to make our lives function and to take care of yourself and to take care of all these little lives. Like it's so much. And then she had a woman berate her for breastfeeding in public. And yeah, I think I want to want to have her on the show and talk about it. It's just it was a really big deal actually. And um, we've just been talking about that this week of how how we live in this little bubble, kind of thinking that we are so evolved, like we're living in this very evolved society and everything is equal and and we're free and we can do what we want. But deep down, we know that's not the case. Like We know something as natural and essential and literally crucial to the evolution of freaking mankind. Like it's the most fundamental, basic thing. Like we know it's not accepted. We know we can't just nurse and breastfeed everywhere we go. We know every single time we feed our kid in public, we run a risk of someone looking at us weirdly, someone sexualizing us, someone giving a negative comment, someone thinking a negative thought. Um, we're not, you know, and in some circles and in some parts and hopefully within our own communities and our own little constellations, like we've created these safe bubbles of, of course we're free. We Or, or this attitude of like, we do what we want. Like, fuck you, who cares? Well, you can try to shame me and we have to put on this kind of warrior attitude about it. 
but we're nowhere near living in a society where we get celebrated and supported for doing the life-giving work of being mothers. Like we're miles away. And it's overwhelming, I think, as women to actually be reminded of all of those ways in which that is true. You know, in all the myriad millions of ways where society proves to us every single day that that is not true. So we, we, we repress it, you know, we disassociate a little bit. We, we live in our little bubbles of, well, everything's fine and we're totally equal. And then when we get faced with something that's so evidently not that, it's like a reality check and a reality shock at the same time. And um, I've just really been mm, going some deep places inside of myself as I explore and navigate just what birth looks like. And I know I'll get to that same place around nursing. I'm going to be breastfeeding in a couple couple weeks, you know, so um, it's just, it's a lot. Being a mother is a lot. So anyway, that's kind of been, uh, <laughs> that's where, where I've been in the past week, just in conversation. And, and then at the same time, I feel, I feel so established and so integrated in my own choices around my pregnancy and birth this time around that I also feel like for every week that passes, the closer I get to birth, the more trusting I feel, the more integrated I feel, the more sense the choices I'm making now make, and the more insane every other option feels. Like it's really true. And uh, I remember like in the beginning, if I was sharing with someone about like wanting to free birth or having a pregnancy outside of the system or choosing my own prenatal care and doing things my own way, I would kind of share it with like a hesitation or, you know, like this is just me, like no one else has to do this. Like I, I get that this is crazy. And now I'm just, the way I'm sharing it is like the, <laughs> the conventional like way is insane. And I genuinely have arrived at that place where I feel such integration around that. Like, who are we kidding? Like, you know, I really, really feel that way. And I told someone the other day, like, for every for every prenatal visit I miss, I genuinely believe I am at less risk. <laughs> and I can kind of giggle saying that because it's absolutely 1000% true to where I am in this moment. And I know that's going to piss the hell out of some of you and it's going to trigger some of you and it's going to be inspiring to some of you. And it doesn't matter. It's not about how it's received by the world. It's about how I feel in my own body in this pregnancy approaching this birth, right? And it's just, yeah, it's been one of those, one of those big weeks. And I had an experience, um, this was last week. I think the day the last podcast came out, I was going to I was kind of hesitating, should I share on social media, like what last week's podcast episode was about, kind of the real story of Leia's birth and the things, but then I felt like, oh, I, I don't want to use social media to talk about anything really that revolves around my pregnancy and birth, because for me, social media is no longer a safe space. This podcast is a really safe space for me. And the people who listen, who come here and spend like this hour or more with me every week, you're not here because you think I'm out of my mind. <laughs> you're not here because you want to berate me 
or shame me. You might not agree with every single thing I do or exactly how I live my life, but you're listening to this show and spending this time with me and making this effort and giving me like this time of your week because on some fundamental level, we resonate with each other, right? We have a, a shared vibration, something that we share, something that um, really links us and connects us. And that's different than social media. You know, social media is filled with people who follow along because they're annoyed, who follow along just to shame, um, who don't follow along but check in. Yeah, just to be nasty or also strangers who, you know, anyone can see what you write, right? It can go anywhere. And yeah, I just, I've really been faced with the truth of social media is not a safe space for me anymore. Instagram is not that safe place for me to come and open my heart and be vulnerable. And no, used to be, but it hasn't been for, for a long time, for years, really. So I haven't really, I'm, I'm on this pod, I've talked about my pregnancy. I've shared a bit about what I'm planning for this birth, but not a lot, you know, yet. And I haven't said anything about that on social media. And then so when this pod came out last week, I was like, oh, I kind of want to, should I promote that episode on Instagram? And I'm like, mm. but then I got a, I just had a feeling like I was on the dock here on our land down by the lake, swimming naked in the sun. I was just like standing naked on the dock with my big round belly and my boobs and my, just my body, <laughs> you know, and anyone who knows the feeling of being this pregnant, it's like, you're either like you either feel like the whole universe <laughs> or you just feel like a whale. You know, like I don't really have an in-between. I either feel like like I am a galaxy. Like I'm literally, I am Mother Earth. I am so divinely beautiful, purposeful. Like everything is just godlike. Everything about pregnancy is just a goddamn miracle, right? The embodiment of that. Or I feel like, <laughs> like I'm just like, a gray lump of dough melting into the couch and I can't get up. Like I don't really have an in-between place. <laughs> That's, that sounds really sad. And I'm happy to say that like, I feel much more like the goddess and the mother earth and the galaxy. And a lot of, a lot of my day is spent just in reverence of, of this body and everything it is and what it looks like and what it can do. And so I was standing on the dock, just feeling so beautiful, having cold plunge, just warming myself in the sun. I put on my robe and I snapped a little selfie and it's just my belly looked so beautiful in this selfie. And I was like, oh, I want to post this. And then I just started writing and I wrote something about, and I wrote like wild pregnancy, which is a term I haven't even used on social media, even one time. Um... I haven't posted or written stuff about that. And then I just wrote, like, that's what that is. Like, here's what wild pregnancy is for me, you know. And it just felt so good and so empowered. And I posted it. And then it took, I don't know, not even 10 minutes. I think I had like five minute window of feeling really empowered and safe and good in sharing what I had shared. And then the attacks started happening mainly women. And it was women berating other women in the comment section. Uh, women telling me I'm out of my mind. Women telling me my baby's going to die. Not having, you know, regularly scheduled prenatal visits with an OBGYN or a midwife or someone in the medical field. 
should be a crime. It's not an option. Um, what I'm sharing is dangerous. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm posing a threat to women across the world. Just like wild, <laughs> wild things. And of course, a lot of support, a lot of beautiful things too. But those loud voices, uh, it, oh, and I immediately, and normally I'm in a place where like, oh, I can let my comment section go insane. I am normally not shy to share controversial stuff. Sometimes I stir drama if I'm in that mood. Like I can kind of, I can be feisty. I can, like I'm a Sagittarius rising. Like I can speak the truth and tell people to fuck off. Like I'm normally pretty good, good at that. But at this stage of my life and of my pregnancy and where I am and having spent so many months in protecting myself, really, in deep, sacred protection of my my mental health, of my the baby growing in my womb, of, of, of my heart, I was like, no, I am in no place. Like, I cannot, uh, like, I cannot be on the receiving end of this, even this energy. No. So I just shut the comment section down, which I think I've done maybe once maybe twice in my whole 12 something years on Instagram. How long have I been on Instagram? 2012. It's like 11 years. It's a long time. And uh, after that, I had several, like I had two days of feeling completely thrown off, feeling shaky, feeling unsafe, feeling like I'd really lost my ground. And it was a huge wake-up call for me of like, oh, this is not a time for me to be plugged into mass consciousness of fear. Like, it's not. And knowing that all of this fear comes from trauma. And it comes from institutionalized trauma. It comes from generational trauma. Like, it's big stuff. And like, I can't be on the receiving end of that in any way now. And it also brought forward this really great big moment of clarity of, I need to start kind of shutting down all these outlets that I have. I need to, I'm going to eventually get to a point where I put my phone away, where I get off social media entirely, which is a big thing for me. It's, you know, how I make a living. It's like my day to day. It's a big part of my life and has been for a long time. And I love sharing my day to day journey also there in a way that feels good to me. And I just know like I, I need, I need to stop. I do. And I'm sharing that with you here <laughs> just to kind of let you know, like this podcast will not stop. You know, I started this podcast when Leah was one week old, so I will definitely, definitely have no intention on pausing this podcast or the daily practice. I am banking some episodes of the daily show so that when I birth and when baby comes, I have a few weeks of just space, but I'll still have daily practices and lots of beautiful work for you to dive into there. And then um, this podcast, I'm going to do like one episode that I have saved. And I don't know what the topic's going to be or if it's going to be maybe like a Q&A segment or something. So that if I birth right around the time when it's time for me to record, I don't have to worry. You know, I can actually like give myself the, the full week of, of rest and grace. But other than that, I'm totally planning to be present here because this is my safe space and I'm excited to share the, the birth story with you even though I have no idea what this story is going to be but I will most likely disappear from Instagram um, and social media yeah pretty soon anyway 
Mothers deserve the absolute best. So this Mother's Day, spoil the moms in your life with little luxuries from Osea. Osea's skin and body care is the perfect way to remind all the moms, mother figures, caregivers, grandmothers, and mother-in-laws in your life to make time for themselves. If you have been looking for the perfect gift, I recommend Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I've been using it for years, and it seems like every single time I apply it, I get compliments on my skin. This body oil is rich, but it's never greasy, and it's clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. Your skin will feel more sculpted and toned, and you'll be left feeling silky, soft, and glowing. Another favorite of mine is the Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Ever since I've been using collagen, I have noticed a difference in my skin. In fact, it's never been better. Using Osea's body oil and lotion together is a mega moisture duo, giving you a full body glow. Osea's products are infused with their signature Andaria seaweed, but it's also clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Really just a perfect gift for yourself, the moms in your life, and even the planet. Spoil the moms in your life with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. So with that, I think we should take our first question of the day. Yay, let's do it. Hi, Rachel. Um, My question is, how long have you ever stayed in a meditative state for? Um, I ask this as uh, I have been battling anxiety around building boundaries. And the past few days, I've only listened to like Ram Dass, East Forest music, and um, made me feel really calm and just go through each day wonderfully. So yeah, I was curious, how long is your longest meditative state that you've stayed in? Wow, what a cool and unexpected question. (laughs) My brain is so wrapped up around pregnancy and baby, I'm expecting all questions to be to be this. Well, it depends on what you mean with meditative, meditative state. Um, So I have been in deep, really integrated ceremony where I genuinely go to a different <laughs> to a different plane of consciousness and remain there but it's always been through guidance through the presence of someone guiding a shaman a teacher a guru um, someone holding that kind of flame lit um, and it's always been in a group setting where just the energy of the group kind of holds the presence and magnifies it and makes it easier to remain in that space when I did, I did an ayahuasca ceremony. That was, I mean, the actual, <laughs> the actual ceremony was kind of like a twenty-four hour thing. But I really feel like I was able to remain on that plane of consciousness in that totally grounded, totally heart open, absolutely present able to catch and and discern every thought that came my way, like really like the most egoless place I've ever lived. It remained for weeks, really. It really, it really was a, yeah, I, I can't, I don't know. I, I don't remember what time it kind of started to fade a little bit. But then also kind of the the state that you talk about, the 
when we are in a daily meditation practice, when we are in a daily ritual of really connecting with our spirit and in the practice and routine of quieting the mind, I think we can in our daily lives, even as we parent and we go to work and we do our stuff, we can remain in a state that is anxiety free. And anxiety free, if we're used to anxiety, or having a mind that's quieter than normal, if we're used to having a really busy, negative or judgmental mind, really can be and feel and be experienced like the most meditative state. It really, really true. I also go through cycles of just <laughs> listening to Ram Dass talks like multiple times a day and I stay away from anything that feels distracting or negative or um, yeah, anything that isn't uplifting my energy in that sense or helping me remain present. And then I can also have just several days of feeling that kind of flow state, but it's not the same for me as a true meditative state, which is something I only really have experienced in group settings, in ceremony of different kind or in retreat settings, where we do a lot of just deep inner work to get to that place of true presence and silence. Um, so I definitely think there's planes and levels to our consciousness and our felt sense of presence and peace. And it's a really beautiful thing, I think, to walk that ladder up and down and that it's okay. Like the ultimate goal is not to every single day experience a, a sense of total enlightenment and bliss. Like that would be kind of a great disappointment to wake up to every day. Because we are human beings with egos and with a conditioned past and with lots of stuff to deal with. So having that kind of framework or that frame of, of, of thinking of, um, I want a little more peace today than I had yesterday, right? And then knowing that every time we're able to step into a bigger integration of some sort, which doesn't have to be group setting or in a shamanic setting or ritual or with plant medicine or anything like that, but I find it very accessible in that way. Um, as soon as we're in a group, you know, there's something about the group connecting, coming together, setting an intention, people on the same path, and then using tools that really amplify and work. Um, it's life-changing. And it's a really beautiful way in also if we don't really know how to begin. I always have an, I always have an easier time going deeper when I'm in the presence of, of, of other people. But that's, of course, personal preference, too. I hope that answers your question. Let's go to the next one. Hi, Rachel. I am calling from California. And my question is, um, being a mom, have you, how have you been able to deal with any, like, triggers, you know, being a mom um, now and, like, any healing that you needed to do with your mom? So, like, do you get triggered and what do you do when you do see kind of like that reoccurring pattern um, of you maybe responding like your mom and you don't want to? Just curious and wishing you the best of luck on your birth and easy delivery. Thank you. Oh, what a, what a big, big, big place to dive into. This is for me a, a really big, big, big thing. <laughs> Um, something I spend a lot of time thinking about, something I've spent a lot of time working through in my life. 
I honestly think the bulk of the healing work that I've done in this lifetime really has been this. It's been the number one most central reoccurring theme is that I did not want to become a mother. I did not want to mother in any way um, until I felt that I had freed myself of enough of the conditioning from my past and from my own upbringing. I was hell-bent, and even I can remember this feeling really young, like being a child, already recognizing that this, like this shit gets passed down, and I don't want to do it. I am not going to have children if it's going to mean that I do the same things to them and that I repeat these cycles of, 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 of pain and, and trauma, like no. And, um, you know, Leia was conceived immediately, very consciously and very immediately following one of the greatest, most transformational healing experiences I ever had, um, which was a deep retreat therapeutic retreat journey that I did um, that brought me to that place of, first of all, recognizing how scared I was to become a mom for that very reason that I didn't want to repeat what, what came my way. And that left me feeling that I was so, for the first time in my life, so ready that I knew I'm not going to do the same. Like I'll, I'll parent differently. And that said, <laughs> I think I'm not done. <laughs> You know, I don't think any of any of us will ever be just like done and finished. But I, I feel really confident in my motherhood and my mothering. I really, really do. And a lot of that has come from experiencing the trauma that I did when I was little, from being parented in a very specific way, from a place of trauma, from a place of lack, from a place of complete shock, fear, like so much happened when I was little and my parents did their best. My mom did her absolute best. I can deeply, deeply, deeply recognize that. And looking at the tools that she had and what she was actively going through, I think she actually did an amazing job. The fact that she was able to create so many beautiful memories for us and be present in the ways that she was, like a lot of that was is just remarkable seeing you know, knowing what I know, but it wasn't enough for me. And I can also, like both of those things can be true at the same time. I can hold gratitude and awe for her doing the best that she could and doing a lot of great, beautiful things. And at the same time, deeply know that that was, that was not, it was not okay for me. It was not enough for me. A lot of it was harmful for me. A lot of it traumatized me. Um, and at the same time, on a third level, if all those things wouldn't have happened, I would not be able to parent Leia the way I'm parenting now. <laughs> so it's this great paradox of, yeah, the fuckery of trauma. Like trauma heals us and takes us where we're supposed to go and gives us the tools and the resources and the learnings to like be to be our best somehow if we're able to receive the tools and the support and the space and the resources to heal it. But at the same time, I'm not one of those people like, yeah, be grateful for your trauma. Like we have to be grateful for all the fucked up shit. Like, you know, abusive stuff shouldn't happen to anyone and we don't have to be grateful for anything. But if we find ourselves arriving at a place where all of a sudden gratitude is there, wonderful, you know, 
We don't have to deny that either. So I'm in that place of just my feet are in both worlds at the same time. All that to say, uh, <laughs> uh, the big one of the biggest things for me growing up, one of the biggest kind of, yeah, big central theme of my life has been not feeling seen, not being heard, not getting to have my own life and be my own person. Uh, I was really, you know, raised and conditioned to believe that my job and my purpose on this earth is to to keep other people happy and to take care of other people, mainly to keep my mom alive so that she wouldn't commit suicide, try to commit suicide again and die. I really genuinely believe that that was my life purpose. I even spent time, like a lot of time in my like early teenage years when I would talk about this with like friends and, and feel proud about that. Like I'm saving my mother's life and I have to be there for her and you know I could never move her away and she needs me. That feeling of like being needed became my identity. You know, I took a lot of gratification from being the person who had it under control, being the person who was always happy, always smiling, always quiet, always behaving, always doing great, being the version that I knew that my parents needed me to be so that they could be okay so that nobody would die, right? Taking care of my siblings because no one else could. Like I, I, there was a lot there that I thought was normal and that's just my lot in life. Like that's my role that I, of course, got to grow up later and look at, well, that's fucked up. Like that was majorly fucked up. Not okay. No, no child is born into this world to save the lives of their parents. No, like that is a complete reversal of roles and it's all wrong right I am not my mother's mother like she's my mother I'm her child she was supposed to parent and mother me not the other way around and we still struggle with that dynamic a lot <laughs> like it is it will always be a thing so for me when I parent Leia it's become it's like a gut instinctual reaction to not do that you know, I'm almost at the extreme of the other way. Like for me, the most important thing is that she gets to shine as her own unique self, that I'm not stepping in, kind of trying to take away or, or own or take ownership of her greatness and her spirit. I'm not trying to change or conform her, not trying to put any roles on her, making sure that she never feels responsible for my emotions or my experience or Dennis's emotions or his experience and that she feels held and seen emotionally literally every moment of the day that I don't miss a beat with her you know um and I feel really <laughs> confident in my mothering I really do I, I know I'm doing a great job she's so seen and so loved and so quirky <laughs> and so herself you know to a degree of just magic. It really, really, really is. But then some stuff can, some stuff happens where like I, I can see how my own conditioning just kind of sneaks in and I say something or something happens and I just catch myself in the moment of, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not how I want to parent. And it just comes out of me. Um, of course, like, of course. And I can give an example of that because we had something happen yesterday that just like I've been processing all day. 
and it's about appearance. And this is a big deal, a big deal. It's a big deal for all of us, especially for women, but for all of us. We live in a society that is completely obsessed with the standards of beauty. There's nothing we put on a higher pedestal, right, than looking good, than looking a certain way. And when you look at it, it's also part of the like patriarchal bullshit that we're just so used to. And when you really start examining it, you're like, wait a minute, like everybody's insane. This is crazy. Like it's actually fucking crazy. But I was raised in a way where like the ultimate most important thing in the whole world is that you are thin and beautiful. Like that's what it is. And I can remember being really young, understanding that weighing too much is a bad thing, terrible thing, ooh, shameful thing. Um, fat is like the most shameful thing you could possibly ever be. Um, it's very important to be pretty. And I was told a lot growing up that I'm so beautiful, that I'm so pretty. Like being young, being a kid, being a child, I was kind of presented to the world as this like beautiful child. And that was like this most amazing thing. And I'm so mindful that we don't do that to Leia. That appearance isn't the most talked about central thing you know, that somehow being beautiful is more important than than feeling good, than feeling safe, than being like smart, being empowered, feeling strong. Like, there's lots of qualities that we can strive to have and to experience that are much more important than fucking beauty. Something as interchangeable. And it's one thing like feeling beautiful as in feeling like ourselves and relaxed in our skin. Like that's one thing. But fitting in with the standards of what society tells us, no, fuck that. Like I'm so, ooh, and I really think I'm over that in so many ways, but I know I'm not. It's deep, runs deep in my bones. And I can remember being, I can remember being like eight or nine years old, having a friend of my parents look me up and down with eyes that I just knew were not safe. Like with a gaze that just was different, you know? Yeah, if you're a woman, you know exactly what kind of gaze I'm talking about. And then turning to my dad and going, huh, she's a looker, that one. You're going to have to be careful with her in a couple of years. And I can so, like I can so deeply remember that look that feeling of like yuckiness inside of me, like something that didn't feel safe. And then somehow beginning to wrap my head around the fact that like being a look, being beautiful, it's like a very good thing, right? It's like very, very important, but it's also not safe, right? It's not, it's not safe to be pretty. You have to be very careful. Bad things can happen to you. Like at eight or nine years old, like as a child, right? And I know we've all had similar experiences of, for the first time being kind of <laughs> removed from feeling and experiencing the world from our bodies to looking at and you know dissecting our appearance and our bodies and our faces from the outside which for me is just is a huge trauma <laughs> it is the moment we get to that place and we all get there eventually we've all been there eventually is is a great 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 loss loss of innocence, you know, loss of, loss of a sense of independence and wholeness like there as well. So I think about this a lot and I'm so mindful to protect Leia from any conversation or talks around weight, around appearance, around 
you know, like the concept of ugly, like we don't use that word at all. I've never introduced her to the idea ever about like body shapes and body sizes and body types and one being better than the other. But it's a, it's a battle to keep her in that place. And I have family members who it's, it's really hard, you know, where it's so ingrained that being fat is bad, you know, don't gain any weight, don't do this, don't look, you know, look at that person where I have to continuously set boundaries and say, this is not okay. We don't talk about other people that way. We don't talk about ourselves that way, not in front of, not in front of my kid, but not in front of anybody. It's, 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 it's a thing in the family. It's a thing for me. So anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> letting this question take a long time. So when Leia talks, when we talk about appearance, she's six years old. She loves, she loves it when I braid her hair. She loves to brush her hair. She asks sometimes, like, do you think I'm beautiful? And she's in that place of like, she likes to dress herself. And she's curious about like, what does it mean to like feel pretty? And what do I like? And, you know, how do I feel when I'm wearing these shoes versus this one? Like, she's just in that space. I don't know how they talk about this kind of stuff at school. And she's getting a lot of input, of course, from everywhere. So every time she gets re- like affirmation, of course she's beautiful. Of course, like in anything. I always, always, always refer back to, well, how do you feel? If she asks, you know, ever like, do you think this is beautiful? Well, how do you feel? Like how you feel is the most important thing. And then I always add, you know, and, and, and does this make you feel strong? Do you think you can have a lot of fun in this dress? If she asks, like, is this dress pretty? Like what's important is like, can you move and be in your body and run? You think you're going to have a fun time? The experience of living in our bodies is more important than what the fuck the mirror says. And it's really hard to keep that anchor right? And I, and I really want to do that for as long as I can. And whatever she wants to do, whatever she wants to wear, she gets to wear. You know, she hates the, those pants. Okay, we can get rid of them. Um, last week, she wanted to wear her Santa suit to school. Hell yeah, go for it. <laughs> like, whatever she feels, like I want her to hold that intuition of this is who I am. And how we dress, how we do our hair, the shoes we choose, like all of that can be this beautiful physical manifestation of owning our inner selves, of feeling like ourselves. Like that's what fashion can be. You know, that's what that whole industry like has the potential to be. It's just a feeling of empowerment, right? But not the way it's done in society today. Not in this way of, well, that's ugly and that's pretty. That's bad. That's good. That's acceptable. That's not. No. So I'm just always like, whatever she wants, whatever she feels, like that's what goes. I'm not going to ever tell her those things don't go together or you look insane or you can't wear that or no, don't do your hair that way. Like, no, like let her be, let her be herself. Let her be her weird, unique, fucking incredible self because eventually society will try to squash that in her the way society does that in all of us eventually, you know, so I'm going to just trying to protect her for as long as I can. So anyway, what happened yesterday morning, she was in the bathroom. She asked Dennis if he could brush her hair and he did it in a certain way. And she, I could see, she was like looking at herself in the mirror, turning her head, turning her little hip. Like she was just like feeling herself, you know, as a six-year-old girl, like looking in the mirror. And then she leans forward and she spent some time in the bathroom. I wasn't like looking at her the whole time. 
And then she comes out and she goes, mama, there's this thing on my nose. I don't like it. I want to take it away. And I look and she has, she has a lot of freckles. She loves her freckles. I mean, I love her freckles. Like I think obviously every parent thinks that their child is the most beautiful, perfect thing humanity has ever created. Like this child for me in my eyes, like there's not a single hair on her head that could ever lie the wrong way. Like she's perfect in every way. And on her nose, she has like a little, it's not a pimple. I think it's called like a, like a milium or a milium. It's, it's something M. It's like those little things that you can get sometimes underneath your eyes. It's like a tiny little bump. So it's like a white little bump, barely visible. You can't pop it. It's not like a zit. <laughs> and I'm like a zit person. Like I love, Dennis sometimes asks me to like, like find his blackheads. Like I love it. <laughs> I'm one of those. I'm one of those weird like people that likes to watch Dr. Pimple Popper. Okay. Um. Anyway, and she comes to me and she says, I have this thing on my nose. I don't like it. I want to get it. I want to take it away. And my gut response, I regret this so fucking deeply. My gut response was, of course, whatever you want, we can get that removed. There's places you can go to do that. <laughs> I said that. Not like I completely misread her in that moment. I misread what she needed. I misread why she came to me with this in the first place, thinking that she has just decided that she doesn't like this thing on her nose. And I'm like, that's not a big deal. That's just like, you know, you need to, you need like a little needle to poke a hole in it and you squeeze it out. It's like not a, it's not a thing. Right. Um, but that's not what it was at all. It was not her deciding, Hmm, this is a casual thing. And I just want to take that away. That was maybe the first moment ever in her six-year-old life where she found something about herself and a little voice in her brain said, that thing is ugly. That doesn't belong there. That thing shouldn't be there. And she immediately came to me, not for me to reaffirm to her that yes, that voice is correct. And that tiny little bump should go. No, that's not, that's not why she fucking came to me. She came to me to reaffirm the fact that that bump, is, is, it's on her face. So it's perfect, right? It's, 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 a, it's a thing that's a part of her body and everything she is, is already perfect and flawless. And that's what she needed to hear, you know? And instead I said, yeah, of course you can get that removed. Like not a thing, <laughs> And I can see like, of course, yeah, it's 34 years of that conditioning inside of me that led me to that gut response the same way when I had acne when I was a young teenager and got sent from place to place to find treatment after treatment and try this cream and try that cream. It was like the center of my life. How do I get rid of that? I have to get rid of that. And I was told the whole time that that was terrible. And Look at your face. Or when I was 12 and gained weight for the first time and had everyone in my family tell me, whoa, 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 you got to stop eating dessert. You know, like I was told this my whole life, there's, I'm, I'm full of flaws and imperfections and that is not okay. I have to conform. I have to look the way they tell me to look. And as I told her that, I was like, yeah, that's okay. If you want to get that, like we can, we can, we can remove it. And she just like immediate, it was immediate. Her bottom lip starts quivering her eyes just filled up with tears and she starts bawling. And she said, no, this is my nose. Like she was in shock that I, 
that I said that, that I affirmed that, when, that, that I agreed with her, right? Because what she came to me with wasn't a question of, can we make an appointment to remove this little million thing on my nose? She came to me asking, am I, am I beautiful? Am I okay? Can I, can I be the way I am? And she starts bawling and she says, mama, this is my nose. I love my nose. I love my nose exactly the way it is. I don't want anyone touching or removing anything. How could you say that? And she just starts bawling. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I fucked up. I fucked up. Like, Im- like it just immediately, just like, yeah. <laughs> and and this might sound to some of you like a casual little thing. For me, this is not a casual little thing. For us, this is not a casual little thing. This is like a, a big moment, you know? And I'm like, I failed here. I fully failed here. And I'm holding her and crying, cry, and cry, you know, she's crying. I said, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry I said that. I have, I don't know why I said that. That is actually not, that's not true at all what I said. You are absolutely right. I think this, this tiny little bump, it's the most beautiful part of your whole nose. I love it so much. And look here, I have one too, because I have a little one under my eye. Look, and Papa has one too. Like we all have them. They're, they're part of us and they stay. Like, absolutely, absolutely. You are so beautiful. You're so perfect. Nothing ever has to change. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I said, I'm so sorry. And she calmed down. And she was like, okay, okay. And uh, yeah, and then she started talking about something else. And then just since then, I've just been like, oh my God. And this is going to be, yeah, she's going to grow up, right? She's going to have more and more input from the outside world. And she's going to have... TV and she's going to have stuff and school and people and, you know, I can't keep all the stuff from her. You know, she eventually is going to be a part of this society in a major way and she will hear all this these messages that it's not okay, that zits are not okay, that wrinkles are not okay, that weighing more than this is not okay, that having a body type like that is not okay, that this is all we get told is how we are not okay. And it's like, and I miss the opportunity of validating how okay and beautiful and enough and perfect she is. And yeah, sorry, this became like a long answer to this question, but it's been so present on my mind of how quickly that came out of me and how I need to do more of this work inside of myself because I never would have said that if I didn't believe it inside of myself, not for her, of course, I don't think there's anything like, you know, wrong with her or something should change about her. I thought I was just like agreeing with what she was saying, right? Yes, you're right. Whatever you want, if you feel good with that. But really what I genuinely believe inside is like, yeah, yeah. Like I should have a perfect smooth face. All the little sunspots I have, the melasma I have from pregnancy, that's really ugly, the hair on my legs should go. I really should laser everything away. I should lose a bunch of weight immediately after this pregnancy. I need to do something about my gray hairs. I need a haircut. I need to learn how to put on makeup better. I need like cooler clothes. Like, you know, there's not a part of my body and my appearance that isn't messed up in some way that could be better or fixed, right? Like that's what I genuinely believe because that's what's deepest there. And I so, you know, I have to work with that every day, every single day, as I choose to not color my hair, to have my grace show, as I choose to not shave my legs, as I choose to eat what I want, as I choose to 
take action that goes against those expectations, those beliefs are still there. And I have to make a giant effort to heal more of that so that those stupid things don't come out of my mouth ever again. So that Leia can grow up in the reverse way where, yeah, she'll hear the voices of stuff, get that removed and fix that and that's not okay and weigh this much and blah, blah, blah. But that her actual integrated belief about herself is that she is not only enough, but she's so fucking perfect in herself, in her unique, wonderful like exactly how she is, you know, like I want that to be the core and then let everything else be noise. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's take another question. Hey, Rachel. Um, I'm calling from the United States. I um, I just want to say, like everyone does before my question, um, thank you so much your podcast I had a baby the past year and um, I discovered your podcast the past year and it was just perfect timing it's remarkable um, how many moments that it's helped me through so thank you for your heart and your mind Um, my question is regarding um, coming to inner peace with a difficult family living situation Um, and I guess a little bit of kind of just letting go of caring maybe (laughs) Um, in, in, in a circumstance that you can't do anything to change. Um, so some context for that is my partner and I recently moved in with his family um, during this transitional year of having a baby. And overall, it's really great, and we get along pretty well, but there is a member of his family who really is not happy about this. And the reasons surrounding those feelings are um, they're, they're, it's really lacking specificity or clarity um, and there's not an open avenue to talk about why this is or what could be done about it to improve um, things and um, this person they don't live there they don't live here um, but their presence is um, around a lot and felt a lot and um, it's it's pretty tense Um, and during those times um, I really respect his family's dynamic which is to um, sort of tacitly acknowledge it but not talk about it ever and not really deal with it ever um, externally. But internally, I'm, um, I'm really struggling with coming to terms with it, just accepting that as okay and feeling, you know, good or about this inside and, and, and when it's just kind of so confusing a thing and um, it's not okay to to talk about and bring up and try to work on. So I guess I'm looking for any thoughts you have about coming to that deeper layer of inner peace with something like this um, in circumstances that you can't temporarily change um, and maybe just, you know, like letting go. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's like learning to just not care um, or maybe it's something better than that. Um, so yeah, any thoughts you have, I would love to hear them. Thank you so much. Bye. Oh, what a, 
What a tricky, tricky place to be. Um, thanks for sharing your story and for, for bringing me this question. I can so see the many dynamics involved in how this is a, a tricky place for you to be in. One of the, the bigger ones being that if, if it's your husband's side of the family. Uh, so if it was, or I would like to believe, you know, if it's our own family, which is always not in any way less complicated, maybe even more challenging to deal with. Um, but at least we know the ins and outs of the dynamic really intimately. And we know kind of, we have that gut feeling of when we are overstepping or when we are um, doing something completely futile, like it's like pointless. This person will not change. There's no point in me getting in here and kind of trying to dig into that or have this conversation. And, you know, that's really, really hard, especially, I mean, if it's a family that you're married into and it's really important, I would imagine that those relationships remain solid and calm and peaceful. And yeah, it's a sensitive, sensitive place to be. So I think where I would go, you know, just knowing that there is some kind of negative presence and it's really impacting you, right? It's, it's, it's big enough to bring that question here. If you had a baby in the last year, you are in a, you're in an interesting spot. Um, I would imagine that I don't want to project anything on you, but that this past year and the year before has been a lot. I mean, coming out of a crazy pandemic and lots of upheaval and then pregnancy and then birth postpartum time I don't know how old your little one is but the first year is hard you know when it takes a lot to recover from birth and pregnancy and transition into this whole new version of ourselves and you're doing that in what sounds like a new dynamic in new relationships living with family members in a new place. I mean, it, it's, it sounds like a lot of transition and change. Um, or at least that's how I could imagine it, it, it would feel like. So the question here is, or the interesting thing here is, is what is it that you really need? Rather than coming from this from a standpoint of, there are issues here. Someone is unhappy. Someone doesn't like me. Some, yeah, there's a, there's a drama of some sort. There's some kind of negativity. Something is not right with a person. Okay. We can approach that from the mind-based place of uh, how do I solve that? How do I fix it? How do I talk to that person? How do I get people on my side? How do I vocalize that this is not okay? How do I set boundaries? How do I, there's a lot of stuff that can, you know, like that, an outcome that, that we might be looking for there. But at the same time, it sounds like this is maybe not the route that you're able to go. Um, if this was a relationship where you felt uh, intuitively that there's healing to be found here, this is something that if we find a way or we find tools or support or resources or space that we can sit together and get to a place of healing and it's going to improve our lives and bring about more intimacy and love and a sense of family, right? Like, if there's that opportunity there, I would say, yeah, like, you know, how can you, how can you find some support around working through these family dynamics? You know, who can you talk to? Who can you actually access? Do you need a little bit of support from a neutral party? Like, can, is there one of them you can sit with? Can you get to the heart of something? But it kind of sounds like from how you're asking this question that that's not really a, like, you know, already that that door is, is, is kind of closed. 
you know, or that that's at least not the path that you're exploring because you kept coming back to, to just be okay with it, that it doesn't feel good, to just let it go, to not care. You said several times to not care, but you do care, right? You do care. So the, to me, the more interesting question is looking at yourself and looking at your own life and your own well-being and your own immediate, you know, family, your, your baby and your husband and you, what is it that you need? Really deeply, like from a, if you answer that, you go to a place deep inside of your heart, like there's a feeling of something lacking there. There's something that you're longing for, something that you're missing, I don't know if that's a sense of stability, if it's a sense of belonging or acceptance or hmm, there's a there's a something deep there and chances are it's not just triggered from this specific new situation but that it's something that is tugging on something old too. And how can you provide yourself with that? If it's not going to come from your husband's family or from this person or from this situation, how can you resource yourself in this great time of transition and drama and get to a really solid place inside of yourself where it's easy for you to distinguish, oh, in these moments, it's time for me to step away. I don't interact here. I don't engage. I don't drop into the drama. I don't go into the place of fixing or changing or complaining or, you know, all the stuff that comes along with challenging relationships. Because really, I mean, you know, this is true, but it's hard to feel it as truth. What other people think of us is none of our business. Feels like your business now, right? Probably because you want that sense of deep connection or that deep family bond. Like maybe there is something there of, oh, like imagine how beautiful it would be if everyone was just that close and supportive and whole and communicating and like there's a dream of something there that just isn't reality now and instead of at least that's what I would do instead of going into the place of micromanaging and fixing and figuring out it's like what do you really need really 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 need and chances are that what that the answer to that is is something that's actually accessible and available to you you know maybe it's something that You need your husband to have your back more. You need more presence with him. You need more space and time alone. You need something that's going to make you feel just safe in the constellation that you are or calm or peace, right? And it's important that we ask ourselves those questions because that's what we can actually control. Like you can resource yourself. You can turn to the practices and the people and the support and the things that actually help you feel a sense of groundedness, that help you weather whatever storm. Like you have control of that. You do. You have no control of whether or not this person enjoys your presence or likes you or they're difficult or bitchy or, you know, yeah, you, you can't, can't change that, but you can change how you take care of you. And... I don't know if this answers your question in the detail that you wanted, but if I were you, that's where I would start. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. 
But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, we're going to take one last question. Here we go. Hi, this is Melissa from Detroit, Michigan. I discovered you two or three years ago, actually on Spotify. I was looking for some yoga music that would inspire me. And, oh my goodness, it opened up my world to so much more than just music. Um, it led me to you and all your teachings and um, practices. And And I would just love to know how do you pick the music that you pick and what does music do for you and your soul and how does it nurture you uh, and nourish you? Um, and please, when are you going to do a new yoga playlist of the month? I uh, would just love to hear your thoughts on how you create those playlists and, and what you think about music and what is your favorite music right now. And I just absolutely love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, hi, Melissa. Yay. <laughs> that makes me so happy to hear. And it's so funny that that I'm closing with your question because I've actually been talking about Spotify just with my team and with Dennis just this week around like how how can I bring more presence to that as a platform because I love it so much. Um, I love curating playlists. I love getting lost in the world of music and putting together that like energetic journey of of what a true, really good playlist for a specific purpose actually can can be. And we were talking about that, that I have like I have this platform there with lots of people present and playlists that people return to again and again, but I'm not really creating anything anymore. And I miss that. So this you writing in this question saying you follow me through Spotify is just affirming that I'm gonna shift more awareness there. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to get more active. So how I usually do it is I go through these I go through cycles of when I'm teaching a lot, I also automatically curate and create a lot of playlists. Um I don't like to reuse a playlist twice. Of course I have. I've I've had like go-tos and but always before teaching a class, I will always I might take an existing playlist and I might move things around or add fresh things. And I just, yeah, I, I never want to use the same playlist really twice. But then when I'm teaching less, I automatically drop into a cycle of I'm not making not making the same kinds of playlists anymore. For myself and my personal practice, I have private playlists that I use that I almost always use on shuffle. So I have a, <laughs> my most used playlist that I have. And I've been thinking about if I should make them public or not. They've just been very private to me. I have a morning tea playlist and I have an evening tea playlist. And whenever I come across new music that fits either of those vibrations, I add to that. And then I 
when I drink tea in the morning, I play my morning tea playlist on shuffle. And when I drink tea in the evening, I play my evening tea playlist. And the evening tea is is almost how you would envision. It's not a Shavasana playlist because for me, Shavasana is very, very emotional. When I choose music for the end of a yoga class, I... I want to find a crescendo. I want to find a build into into the heart. Like for me, it's very, very emotional. Yeah, very personal. And oftentimes the songs I end up using for end of class are a little bit too um, moving. Yeah, almost like too dynamic, even though they're very, like they always end with just deep, deep, deep rest. There's always a dynamic point in them because I, I think Shavasana is a great time to cry. <laughs> and I often want people <laughs> to either cry or feel something, right? Like actually get to an emotional place within themselves. And for evening tea, that's not what I want. For evening tea, it's the last thing I do before I go to bed. I want to be in that like deep, deep meditative state. So it's the calmest, most grounding, gentle, soft, almost like, yeah, put you to sleep and not really kind of music. Um, and then for the morning tea playlist, it's it's always gentle and calm, but sometimes I want to like sit at my tea table and vibe a little bit, <laughs> you know. So those are the playlists I use the most, but they're private. Or maybe I should just make them public because, yeah, why not? I could absolutely share them. And uh, how I do it, when I make a new playlist, I'm going to make, you've inspired me, I'm going to make a new playlist of the month. So everyone listening, if you don't follow me on Spotify, you can search Yoga Girl on Spotify. You can follow my profile. And I also have a playlist called Yoga Girl Playlist of the Month. And it has, I don't know, 250,000 followers or something. That's a lot of people who listen to that playlist actively. And it's called Yoga Girl Playlist of the Month because I used to change it every month. <laughs> and now I do it like three times a year, maybe. But so what I do when I create a new one I take the existing Yoga Girl playlist of the month and I make it into its own playlist and it will be called Yoga Playlist 47, something, like I'm at a number there. And then I replace and I make a brand new one and I put that in uh, Yoga Girl Playlist of the Month. So, you know, like a playlist is never, doesn't disappear. You know, I always, always keep them live on the page. But how I do it specifically for the yoga playlists is I have a really particular energy I'm looking for. I always start off very, very, very gently. I don't want anything to jolt our nervous system as we begin a practice. And then I let the energy of that music build. And I might let it build and drop and then build again and get to a big peak. But there's always a peak of the class and the peak of the class needs to align with the peak of the playlist in terms of energy and power and bass and all the things. And then it drops. And I always have, when we get to hip openers, when we get to just like deep remain in a pose for a long time, again, go to a deep place inside of yourself. I want something to tug on the heartstrings. So I'll always have, yeah, like three quarters of the way into a class or into a playlist. I have always something very special planned. And sometimes I DJ mid-class if I don't end up where I want to be. Like I'm so working with the music as I teach. It's a really integral part of my teaching. And then it drops and it goes down. And then in the end, I want you to get to that Shavasana place. And I want you to end Shavasana feeling like you're part of the earth, like your body 
can just melt into the floor. And then I always add extra songs. <laughs> so say I'm teaching a 75-minute class or a 90-minute class, the playlist will always be 105 because I want to have music following so that if you want to take your time to get out of, you know, to get off the mat, you want to stay there and cry, you want to stay there and just marinate in your own sweat, whatever you want. <laughs> like I want you to have very gentle, soft music continuing there so you can linger and you don't have to like get up and or Spotify chooses, you know how they have that setting where you end the playlist and it just chooses something <laughs> and you have no control. Um, so I always make the playlist a little longer than it than it has to be. But yeah, I'm a huge music fan. Huge. We have music playing in our house every moment of the day. It's the first thing I do when I wake literally I wake up, I pee. <laughs> okay, I pee first. And then I go to the speaker and I uh, I turn on our speaker and I play music every single morning, like every day. I cook to music. We always have jazz playing in the background when we eat. We listen to a lot of probably most played artist at our house probably is Billie Holiday. Might even be the most played artist of all time in our in our family. But we listen to a lot of Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald. Listening, to, always listening to Fleetwood Mac and Carole King. Yeah, I, I just. I, I did I kind of return to I have certain artists that I return to again and again. We also listen to a lot of Bob Dylan and Rolling Stones and Cat Stevens is kind of big <laughs> around here as well. And then of course, I mean I have a six-year-old. We listen to Taylor Swift. I love like Latin American music. Love, love, love. I have a playlist called Nenas Sin Penas that's full of really amazing Latin music if you're interested. But yeah, music is a huge part of my life. And thank you for inspiring me to make a new Yoga Girl playlist of the month. I'm going to get on that right away, actually. Thank you, everyone, asking such wonderful, beautiful questions and for being here as always. I appreciate you. Um, <laughs> I think every episode I end now, from now on, it's going to be like, if I don't have this baby by next week, I think I'm going to go to 42 weeks like I did with Leia. But in case I don't know that there might be a segment of Ask Rachel, yeah, thrown in there somewhere for the week of birth, just so you're so you're prepared. And then I can't wait to share the birth story with you after that. But I don't think, I think we have at least like a, at least a month, at least maybe a month and a half. We have time to go. Okay. I love you. Have a beautiful, beautiful week and I'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio and I'll see you next week.